Hello and welcome to this message from the room. We hope that this message from Pastor Billy Pate inspires and challenges you towards a greater relationship with Jesus Christ. Now let's join Pastor Billy Pate for another exciting message. You say come to the So Joshua chapter 6, beginning, uh, we looked at verse 17 through 19, and we're not actually going to go back there, but we will pick up in Joshua chapter 7. But just for your reference, if you want to look back on verse 17 through 19 of Joshua chapter 6, it'll help you kind of get caught up as to where we are. A few weeks ago, I took you to this particular book and began talking to you about giving, and specifically talk to you uh, about giving in the area of finances. Uh, We talked about a principle that I believe that God has established and a principle that we need to live by. And that principle was that the first things belong to God. The very first things in my life belong to God. Uh, And so when it comes to finances and we we get paid or we get uh, income, we need to be sure and be mindful that, that we understand this principle and apply it to that particular area of life that the first things belong to God. And so we want to consider Him first. But not just in the area of finances. If you'll remember, I took you to a couple of verses of Scripture and I want to refresh your minds with those today. Proverbs 3 and 9, it's on the screen. It says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits." Of your increase, and so we see here in the Old Testament that God begins to establish this principle, or, or actually, this is laid out from the principle that the first things in life belong to God. Now, let's jump ahead to the New Testament and see what Jesus Himself has to say concerning this line of thought. He says in Matthew six thirty three, "But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness." And all these other things shall be added to you. Remember when we talked about this particular verse, we just talked about the fact that what Jesus is saying here is that I need to be considered first in every decision that you make in life. How many decisions do we make in life that would turn out much, much better for us if we took just a moment before we made a decision and followed through with the decision to consider what Jesus would have us to do in the situation and actually consider Him in the context of the decision-making process. Life would be much easier, wouldn't it? Life would be much different. A lot of times what we do is just the opposite. We, we make a decision, we jump off into something, we find ourselves have, have made the wrong decision or we find ourselves struggling with it, and then what do we do? We start praying and asking God to jump in on the backside to fix what we should have asked Him to direct in the first place. It's much better to ask Him to direct than to fix. Amen? Amen. And so we want to be people that consider Him first and we think of Him first and we we act based on Him first. And so that's what the principle is really talking about, that the first things belong to God. We talked about how Joshua was tasked to go into the promised land. Here Joshua and the children of Israel have been wandering in the desert for 40 years and that has come to an end, thank God. They're about to step over the Jordan River. And as they step over into the Jordan River, they got the first city that they're going to conquer right in front of them, and that is the city of Jericho. And it's a massive city. It's a walled city. It's a city that really they have no chance of winning unless God fights the battle for them. And fortunately for them, God is on their side. God is is leading the charge. They are getting direction from the Lord on the front side. 
and God is directing their steps exactly how they should handle dealing with this city. And so they, they step up, they go through everything that God asked them to do, and God delivers the city into their hand. But in verse 17 through 19 of chapter 6, God gives them a command as they are getting ready to march upon the city of Jericho. And this was the command that he gave them. He said that everything in this city is mine. Everything in this, in this town is mine. It's dedicated to me. It's, uh, it's gold, it's inhabitants, it's, it's every piece of, 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 of animals, clothing, everything that you can find in the city belongs to me. He says, take none of it. And so they go into the city, they defeat the city, but what we find is there was a gentleman named Achan who decided that he knew better than God, he knew a better way than God, and he decided to take some things for himself and he hid them in his tent. And so these are the things that we kind of took away from our previous uh, story here in uh, Joshua chapter 6 and Joshua chapter 7. And that is this. First, giving starts in obedience. We have to follow what God asks us to do. Anything in your life really starts with obedience. Why do we seek God first? Because we want to obey Him in the direction that He's trying to take us. We want to unlock what God's blessings are for our lives through being obedient to Him. And so giving starts with obedience, but really everything in our life should start with obedience. Achan decided that he knew a better way, and so Achan disobeyed. Achan, instead of honoring what God has said, and look, this city is mine, this first city belongs to me, don't touch any of it. Achan goes in and he decides, well, here's some gold, here's some other stuff that I'd like to have, and I'm going to take these things and I'm going to stuff them under my tent, and probably nobody will ever know, and probably nobody will ever find out. You can't hide from God. You can't hide anything from God. He knows all and sees all. That's one of the most frustrating things about God. Is that I can't get away with anything. And so it's best for me if I just decide that I'm going to honor Him, put Him first in my life, and do what God is asking me to do. His way is better than my way. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. His ways are better than my ways. And He knows how to get me to the place that I truly want to be if I will just trust him and allow him to lead me. It really starts with trust. Do I trust that God has my best interest in mind? Do I trust that God is really trying to bless me in my life? Do I trust that God is really trying to take me to a place of fulfillment of my heart's desires? Then if I trust him, then, get, then obedience is not a problem. The second thing that we took away from that is that be, we have to be careful how we handle the things of God. There are some things that are not yours to handle. There are some things that only belong to God to handle. The first things belong to Him. And so we need to be real careful about we handle how those things come into our lives and especially how those things leave our lives. We need to handle the things of God correctly. Achan decided that he could handle God's stuff however he chose to. And he took and stole and, and he hid things that belonged to God. He handled them as though they were his own and as, they, as though they were not God's. How many things do we handle as though they are our own instead of handling them like they belong to God? Every one of you that have had children for the most part have dedicated your children to God. And yet we handle our children a lot of times like they belong to us and like... They do not belong to God. We need to trust them into the hands of the Lord. Commit them into the hands of the Lord and trust that God will work 
out the situations of their lives. We jump in too much in a lot of different situations, and that's just one. But we start handling a lot of things that really are not ours to handle, and we mess with stuff that God should be messing with himself. So how are you handling the things that belong to God? The third thing that was our takeaways was that personal choices, personal choices affect the whole, the corporate body. Personal choices that you make as an individual don't just affect you as an individual. I wish they did. I wish that every numbskull that I have in my life, the decisions that they made only affected them, but the reality is that a lot of times they make decisions that affect me. And if you're a part of this body of believers, guess what? The decisions you make in your personal life don't just affect you, they affect this entire body of believers. I said to you that private obedience releases corporate blessing. So certainly when we're talking about in the area of giving, we need to understand that my private obedience to God and doing what God has asked me to do releases a corporate blessing upon the entire church. Private disobedience restrains the corporate blessing in the church. So how are your personal choices today affecting this body of believers? So this morning as we continue on with these thoughts, I want to pick up our text in Joshua chapter 7 verse 2 and continue the message this morning. Hands off. Would you pray with me today? Father, we thank you, Lord, for this message. We thank you for this group of people that have come with open minds and open hearts and, Lord, attentive ears to hear what you are saying to them. We thank you, God, that today you are going to speak through me. God, you're going to empower me through your anointing to preach things that would help us, preach things that we could practically apply to our lives, God, and that, Lord, we could leave here changed and different and better equipped to handle this world that we live in. We thank you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's look together at Joshua chapter 7, verse 2, as we continue on talking about different priorities here in the area of giving. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon on the side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up, spied out Ai, and they returned to Joshua and said to them, Let me stop there and just tell you, now after Jericho, after they defeated Jericho, they have Ai set in their sights. This is the next city on their road of conquering the promised land. And so Joshua wisely sends some spies ahead. He says, check out the city, see what they've got, see what they're equipped for, and then come back, report to me, let me know how we need to handle this. And so that's where we're at in the story. And he says, they returned to Joshua and said to him, do not let all the people go up. He said, but let only about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. So about 3,000 men, men went up from there, from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them down on the descent. Therefore the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Now remember, previous to our story, we have this gentleman Achan, who has decided that he's going to disobey God's command to the entire nation of Israel. Now everybody in the nation of Israel did exactly what they're supposed to do except for Achan. Can anybody relate to that? You have 
Everybody doing exactly what they're supposed to do except for one person who decides they're going to do something completely opposite. And that's what we have here. They're sending 3,000 men to fight. The people estimate that there's probably 3 to 6 million people here in this group. And you have one man that can't do what everybody is asking them to do. And so we have Achan. And so Achan has done this, this, this sin. He's committed this sin. He's, he's gone against God's plan. And now they've sent him up to Ai. And what happens because of one man's sin is there is a removal of God's presence from the congregation of Israel. There is a removal from God, of God's protection over the people of Israel. And there is a removal from God's anointing upon them to fight and to conquer and to actually possess the land that God has for them. Why? Because of one man's decision, the whole congregation is affected. Can I just stop there and just say to you today again, and I'm going to drive this point so deep into the ground that you'll never be able to remove it. And that is that you can't do whatever you want and not think that it's going to affect somebody else around you. This is not about you. This is about the people of God. This is about the church. This is about what God's plan for the church is. And so just because you don't want to, you need to understand that that doesn't just cause effects and consequences to your life. It also affects other people around you. The sooner we understand that as people, the sooner we embrace that understanding that I can't just do what I want because other people suffer. Or, or better yet, I can't not do what I'm supposed to do. It's not just doing what we're not supposed to do. It's also not doing what we're supposed to do. And so it works both ways. And so I can't just decide today that I'm going to hold back my giving because that's what I want to do. It doesn't just affect you. There's a ripple effect that happens. It affects the ministries of this church. It affects the uh, projects, the missions projects that we do out of this. It does a lot of things. It affects how much staff we can have and how much equipped we are as a church. And so there's a ripple down effect. It also has to do with areas beyond giving. I can't just go out and do what I want to and not have any regard for my children and my wife, and my church. Because if I go out and sin, and I go out and party, and I go out and do all the things that I would want to do in my flesh, guess what? It affects everybody. Your sinning is selfishness gone to seed. Sinning is saying that I don't care about anybody else around me. I don't care about the effects that it has on anybody else around me. All I care about is what I want right now, and I'm going to get what I want right now no matter what it costs those around me. This is Achan. This is Achan. I want this gold. He's not thinking about how it's going to affect the congregation. So let's look on. Who suffered? Let me just ask you this. Who suffered because of Achan's decision? Achan sitting in the tent. He's probably counting his gold. And these 3,000 men have gone up to fight this city of Ai. And so initially, who's affected by Achan's decision? 36 men who lose their lives along the way. Here's what the Bible says. And the men of Ai, in verse 5, struck down the 36 men, for they chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them down on the descent. So not only was the 36 men affected, but what about their families? 
What about their children now that have to grow up without fathers? What about their wives who now have to find a way to make a living because now their husbands are not there to provide support for them? What about the rest of them? Not only that, it says the ultimately the entire congregation of Israel suffers because of why. It says their parts of the people melted and became like water. They're all starting to look at Joshua and saying, what have you got us into? You have taken us into this promised land and we have defeated Jericho and now we're getting smoked by this little city called Ai. You know that Ai means rubble? It was not even a walled city. It was just a heap. It was just a pile of, of stones and a few little houses here and there that were absolutely nothing. And that's why the spies came back and said, look, you don't even need to send a lot of people up there. There's hardly anything to, to, to counter us. So this will be easy. But nothing's easy without God working with you. Nothing's easy unless God is working on your side. And so here's the frustrating part about the whole deal is that sometimes you don't even know when there is sin in the camp until you've had a good whipping. These men went up. They hadn't sinned. They hadn't brought a reproach against God. And so they're going up to fight a battle trusting that their neighbor had done what they were supposed to do also. You know that we're sending people into battle in this church, fighting for you and fighting for your families, fighting for ministries. And some of them are fighting, not even realizing that there is a problem in the camp because of sinful, selfish behavior that goes on in the lives of individuals. And we're putting ourselves in harm's way. Why? Because we don't even know sometimes the stuff that's going on in the lives of people around us. It takes the battle of Ai before Joshua is even aware that there is a problem. Something isn't right here. And so here's my point. Is that we can't wait till it's too late. Don't wait till it's too late. For 36 people here in our text, it's a little late to start wondering about a problem. For their families, it's a little late to get concerned. Everything may not be in order. And so don't wait till it's too late. Here, let me make it practical for you this morning. We can get real motivated to honor God and put Him first when we are in a real mess. Man, there's nothing motivates me to pray when I'm in a bind. Amen? And so we can get real motivated to, to pray and ask God's help when we're already in a mess. But at that point, we've waited too late to avoid some of the consequences that are oftentimes headed our way. It's easy to get motivated to do what's right when we are suffering from the results of doing what was wrong. I'm going to say that again. It's easy to get motivated to do what is right when we are suffering from the results of doing what is wrong. Well, I wish I'd have never done that. Oh, yeah, it's easy to say that when you're suffering from the effects of wrong behavior. When we've brought the consequences of sin upon our lives, it's easy for us to at that point turn to God, start crying out to God and asking for God's help. It's easy for us to begin to call on the name of the Lord when we're already in jeopardy. As a matter of fact, it is the consequences that has now brought Joshua and the people of Israel to a place of awareness. And it's oftentimes the consequences in our own lives that bring us to a place of awareness where we really understand, look, I need to get some things in order and get some things right in my situation. Now, 
something that you need to understand this morning is that the enemy wants you to blame God in these situations for some presumed failure on his part. The first person we always look to when we find ourselves in a mess is God, and we always initially say, God, why would you allow this to happen? God, why would you put me in this situation? God, why in the world would 36 men lose their lives? What what in the world are you doing to us? But it's nothing that God is doing to us. It's stuff that we've put ourselves in the position to reap the consequences of the enemy's um, plans for our lives, and we have exposed ourselves to his his plan, his, his, his tactics, and his schemes because we have removed ourselves from the protection and provision of God because we are not obeying him in the situation. You cannot blame God for the consequences that you walk yourself into, and it's not fair to do so. God never left Israel. Israel left God. God doesn't leave you, but you can certainly walk out from under his protection and provision. And when you do that, you become vulnerable to the even the weakest of the enemies that you fight in life, face in life. Now, here's something that I want to add to this because I think it's important. It's very important. It is important. Is that fortunately for us today, we have a little thing called grace. And grace works in our favor even when really we don't deserve it. And that's what, that's what grace is. And so fortunately for us, we don't directly receive all the consequences that we deserve because we have this buffer called grace that deflects and it shields and it protects us from a lot of things. But let me tell you also that it won't shield you from everything. When you blatantly walk into sin over and over again and when you blatantly reject what God is saying to you, God will put you in a position where he will speak to you, he will direct you, he will give you clearly what you are supposed to do. And when you reject that over and over and over again, God's grace begins to get real thin in your life and before long it's not shielding you from everything around you. It's not a fix-all. It's not something that just takes care of every problem in your life and you can do whatever you want to. Grace is released in greater measure the more you try to serve God. And so we have a partnership with God in that. And we have to really try and to do what God is asking us to do. And when we fail by by mistake and we fail because we're just not enough in that particular situation, that's when grace comes along and makes up the difference in our lives. But when we blatantly just sin and we blatantly just do whatever we want to do without any regard to God and we're not putting Him first, then how can we expect the provision of God to be in our lives and to protect us and shield us from the plans of the enemy when we have no regard for Him whatsoever? It's through obedience that we are shielded from the exposure to the enemy's objectives concerning our lives and we need to be shielded from that. So my... My, my point is don't wait till it's too late. Don't wait till you're already exposed and experiencing the effects of disobedience before you do what is right. Because it's much too hard to climb out of the hole that you can avoid altogether. Verse 6. Then Joshua tore his clothes. He fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought us this people over the Jordan? at all, to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites, to destroy us. Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. Isn't it amazing how anytime we face opposition, we want to go back to the previous place we were safest. Even Joshua, the leader, 
who understands that that mentality, for the most part, is what kept them in the desert for 40 years, has a tendency when they face a difficulty or face a failure, that's the first thing that pops into his head. Fortunately for him, he's saying it to the right person. Oh, Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? Verse 9 is important for you to, for my point this morning. It says, For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? Point number five is don't embolden the enemy against you. Don't give the enemy power to incite your fear and undermine your faith and trust in God. He says here in verse 9, For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. We're going to embolden our enemies because of this lost battle, God. They're going to feel real confident that they can attack us and drive us out. And he said, when we're dead and we're gone, then what are you going to do for your great name? Can I just ask you this morning, when the church fails over and over again, and when the church loses all of its credibility, what are we going to do for God's great name? Because it is the church that speaks of his goodness. It is the church that declares his favor and his righteousness and his goodness in this earth. And without the church and without a a church of integrity, a church of faithfulness, a church that stands strong in the face of opposition and difficulty that this world throws at us, who is going to stand for God? God has equipped the church to be that person, to be that entity that declares the goodness of God. And so we don't want to embolden the enemy against us. We don't want to give into fear because fear only builds fear. Faith is built by exercising faith. Don't give the enemy fuel to encourage more attacks against you. What are you talking about? I'm saying, listen, when we don't trust God in one area and when we disobey God in an area, we only embolden our enemy to attack us more in those very same areas. And so when you don't trust God with your giving, in the area of finances, which is what we're talking about today, then what do you do? You give the enemy authority. You give the enemy an emboldenment to attack you more and to incite more trouble against you. When you are obedient, the enemy sees God as an undefeatable foe. But when you are disobedient, the enemy sees a foe that is easily defeated. If you read the account of Jericho, you'll find that when they defeated Jericho, it sent fear into all the inhabitants of Canaan. But here you see that this failure is sending courage to all the inhabitants of Canaan. So my question to you today is what message do you want to send to the enemy when it comes to your finances? Do you want to send to him that you have God in the midst of them and that you are an undefeatable foe? Or do you want to say to him, this is an area where I can be robbed, pillaged, and just taken advantage of in my life. Verse 10. So the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? There is a time to cry out to God, church. And there is a time to deal with what needs to be dealt with. There is a time when, yes, you need to get on your face and you need to cry out to God. But there is also a time when God speaks to us and says, get up and handle what you need to handle. Just do what is right. Verse 11 says, Israel has sinned. They have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them, for they have even taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived 
and they have also put it among their own stuff. Israel, he's saying, has put my stuff with their stuff. They've mishandled what belongs to me. I just encourage you today to not mishandle God's things. If you mix it, you mix it at your own risk, and you also mix it at the risk of everyone else around you that you have a relationship with and that you're a part of their life. Verse 13 goes on to say, Get up, sanctify the people, and say, Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow, because thus says the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing. Remember what I told you, that the accursed thing means dedicated thing in your midst. O Israel, you cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the dedicated thing from among you. So he's saying to them, look, you need to sanctify yourselves. You need to make it right. And here's my last point is you you have to make things right. When awareness is brought to you, when God begins to deal with you about specific areas in your life, that is the point that you have to make things right immediately. Don't wait. Don't don't put it off because you don't know whose lives hanging in the balance because of your lack of reconciliation with God. You got to make things right. Verse 13 says, "You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the dedicated things from among you." We have to get our hands off of those things that belong to God and release them into his hands. And our obedience our actions, our our right living, our finances, the list goes on and on, our children, our marriages, on and on the list goes of things that have been dedicated into the hands of God and things that we need to keep our hands off of. When they're in God's hands, they're in his strong hand, and the enemy, he says this, he says, the enemy takes nothing from my hands. He says, no one takes anything out of my hands. And so that's exactly where I want my finances, in God's hands. That's exactly where I want my marriage, in God's hands. That's where I want my kids, in God's hands. That's where I want my church, in God's hands. That's where I want every aspect of my life, in God's hands, because the first things belong to Him. And if I put those in His hands first, they are secured, they are protected, and I am provided for in the process. Amen. Amber, would you come to the piano this morning? You cannot stand before your enemies without the protection of the Lord on your life. Without God's favor and God's protection, you can't stand before the enemy. And so I just challenge you today to not blame God for decisions that you make, for consequences that perhaps you find yourself in. Just just stand up, sanctify yourself, make things right, and move forward and watch how God will come into the situation and begin to work things out for your good. We would love for you to visit us at 1110 South Preston Street, Burkrenet, Texas. And as always, we encourage you to come experience life with us after it.